I'm Megan. I'm Colin. And this is Pet Sitter Sitter Confessional. Confessional. An open and honest discussion about life as a pet sitter. Brought to you by Time to Pet and Pet Sitters International. It's my belief that one of the core components of what it takes to be an excellent pet care provider is to be an excellent communicator. So how do we get better at that? What does it mean to be a good communicator? Chrissy Newmeyer-Smith, podcaster, groomer, and professional dog trainer, joins us today to talk about what it means to ask good questions, how we can be paying attention more to the pets that we are dealing with, and working with fearful animals. Let's get started. Sure. Yeah, thank you for having me, because I'm really excited, too, because I listen to this podcast. <laughs> so I am, I am a house call groomer, and I do house call training as my own business. And um, then I also teach two days a week at Whole Pet Grooming Academy in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. I teach the online Master Groomer Behavior Specialist course, which is my program, which is so awesome. Um, but really my goal is where grooming and training meet. And that's where, where my specialty lies. And I'm a trainer, a certified professional dog trainer, a certified behavior consultant for canines, and um, as well as a certified professional groomer working toward master certifications. And um, I started at an agricultural high school for animal science back in 1985. And I fell in love with dogs. And my first job, it was my first um, summer internship in 1986. So 14 year old Chrissy working in a boarding kennel. And um, on my lunch break, I was watching the groomers. And after work, I'd stay and stay for the dog training classes and help with those. I just was hooked from the very beginning. And they've grown together across the whole timeline. You know, you, you mentioned it. Is you, you're working at, and you're 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 focused on this interplay where grooming and training intersect. So, in your mind, how do, how do you describe that interaction of how grooming impacts training and how training impacts grooming? So, um, I think groomers tend to be the artistic side. We are artsy. We're we're you know cleaning dogs and then doing pretty trims but we don't necessarily learn a lot about the behavior part. And so when a dog isn't comfortable with it, sometimes we're left to um, well, pet owner level kind of understanding of why dogs are uncomfortable. And then the training side brings in you know, more about what dogs think, how they feel, how they respond to what we're doing. And we can't get in their head and know how they feel, but we can watch their responses and we can adjust our own responses. Um, so from the training side, trainers don't necessarily understand dog groomers. They don't understand the grooming process. So I think it's really important for them to meet because these two fields do not talk together. They have entirely different verbiage, entirely different um, words that they use. And yeah, it's, it's interesting. So for me, it's more about these two fields should be going hand in hand and should always have been going hand in hand. Uh, well, what for you, what are some of the biggest deficits that you see between them that you're trying to bridge? I would say... Um, There are a lot of groomers who think that dogs are giving them a hard time when dogs are having a hard time. And that's a really key switch that I think a lot of groomers need to to feel, you know, like, wait a minute, if I think he's having a hard time, I'm more likely to respond in a way that helps him be more comfortable. Um, And then trainers are trying to come up with training programs that groomers can't implement. If you want us to use a clicker and treats and watch for a dog to target their nose on something, that requires a second human because we often have a dryer under our arm, our hand on a dog and another hand on a tool, and we're looking at the mat we're brushing out, right? That So we need to bridge that gap so that dogs are better prepared for grooming and that we don't need two people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's sort of the 
where I think a lot of dog groomers give up because they're like, well, I can't possibly implement some of these things. I feel like I'm already like the one man band, like add a harmonica and some cymbals between my knees and we'll be all set. Yeah, a lot of the, the, the practical implementation of going, you want me to do what? Like I'm already focused on so many things or for pets that are going, I'm already focused on making sure that they're not escaping through the door and their stress levels remain low and they're getting their medications and they're you know, getting the attention that they need. You want me to add what to that? And so I do, that, that's very interesting yeah. to sit back and go, okay, how do I real, realistically implement and do some of these things that you're asking me? And you're right. If we're not in turn talking back, not talking back to them, but, you know, having this back and forth communication of going, okay, that's great that you want me to use a clicker. How would, should, how would I use a clicker and when my, all of my hands and my toes are being implemented right now to make this happen? Right, right. And it's not that the clicker is a bad idea or the training is a bad idea. You might need two people to start off, right? So you might need a second person. But I think most of us as groomers, when I'm wearing my groomer hat, are like, how long is that going to be? You know, and I'm sure for you guys as pet sitters too, like, hey, listen, I don't want to have to like do all these extra steps forever. How do I, how do we smooth this into our regular day to day? Yeah, it's understanding that progression. I, I, that's something that really more people need to be focusing on and going, okay, we have a quote unquote solution right now. Is this the forever solution? Is this going to work tomorrow? Is this going to work in five years with the same dog? And how do we start moving them and working them either away from that towards something else that's actually less intensive? Or like you said, with, with that doesn't require two people. A lot of pet sitters are solo. I'm a, they only yeah. work by themselves. And I need two people to do this. That's that's actually just straight up not feasible for them. Yeah, absolutely. And then the grooming setting too. You yeah. know, I mean, if you're going to have two people, well, money wise, that's double the cost, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we also need to think about how are we going to sell it. But for for the person who has to implement it, whether that be the groomer or the pet sitter, the the point is is that they need to feel like it's going to meet the need, mm. or they won't follow through. That's true of dog owners with training too. So if we make if we make it accessible and say, hey, the trainer and I are going to work on these things for the next time that my pet comes in for grooming, can you also help us implement these things that we're working on? Get everybody on board, which is where pet sitters and groomers and trainers and vet techs and veterinarians all can join forces and be that voice of, we don't want your dog stressed out. Yeah, well, that's that holistic approach, right? Be, re- realizing that I'm not the only member on this pet care team. That this person, this but this owner is going to four, five, six different pet care professionals in some way. Are, yeah. are we all on the same page, right? What I do may impact how the groomer experiences their life, and what the groomer does is going to impact how the trainer experiences that dog. So, in those situations, we may all, you know, three or four of us be seeing a quote unquote different dog. But it's just because it's situational and we're training them to act that way when they're in front of us. And if we aren't um, on board with the same um, definitions, yeah. right, then then one person can be doing what they think is the instructions. Yeah. yeah. So as an example, I, I can't help it, but a classic example, if you think a stern no is negative reinforcement, it's not. So if you think about that, like, oh, well, geez, we're using positive reinforcement and we're using negative reinforcement. And they're like, oh, okay, I can do that. Good boy, bad dog, you know, (laughs) but that's not what it is, you know? So so even just knowing our lingo, you know, 
it's it's like um well groomers being able to use groomer speak and look at a breed chart and say oh this blade on this on this angle you know and that other people aren't going to understand yeah yeah Yeah, like reading a recipe yeah, well, and it helps the the owner too be equipped when there's consistent language. I mean, ter- terminology is just utterly imp- it's it's so critical for them to be equipped to know how to communicate what's going on with their dog. I know for us, we had a situation where the lady was telling us, "Oh, my dog is really aggressive towards people, super aggressive towards people," and it was like, "Okay, that I I now have a set of expectation." But when I when I actually met the dog. The dog, she told me, I said, so when was the dog aggressive? She said, well, he was in his kennel and the person reached into the kennel and pulled them out. And I was like, oh, the dog was scared, right? The, <laughs> the dog's not aggressive. Yeah, it's a scared yeah. dog. That's a How very... did he respond? What did he do? Dude. Was there an injury? Yeah. Yeah. Well, how does he behave now when you reach into his crate to get him out? Exactly. You know, any lasting and... thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> There's so many terms that go into this field that are kind of a little bit wishy-washy, like kind of used loosely in certain contexts. And if we're not using them appropriately, we're not setting, because if that owner went and is now telling everybody they encounter, I have an aggressive dog. Well, yeah. the groomer may go, I don't accept aggressive dogs. The trainer may put them in a different program that's not appropriate for them. And, and it just kind of spirals from there. Yeah. Another classic example is my puppy bites. No, your puppies get the puppy rabies. I don't yeah. want you to start letting people think that your puppy is aggressive. Your puppy's nine weeks old doing normal puppy stuff. It's not yeah. appropriate, but it's not biting. Yeah, Like your neighbors are going to think the dog next door bites. Don't let the kids near them. You know, like it's, it's different. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, so for, how how do you approach those kind of misunderstandings? How do you talk to an owner who's using improper language to describe what you're seeing? Um, so often what I'll do is I'll talk to them about, okay, well, tell me what you see. Cause, um, you know, classic example, people are like, well, he's really dominant. I'm like, okay, but tell me, tell me what happens. Tell me what you're talking about. Dominance means a lot of things to different people. And it's a term that's been taken over by pop culture in a way that doesn't even make sense anymore. But, but I asked them like, you know, tell me what you see. What does he do? So another dog is walking towards you. What, what happens, you know? And that's how I draw out information from owners. That's more objective versus subjective because owners do observe things. Um, we just have to draw the information out of them better. And yeah. then we can bring it to their attention. They're like, Oh, that doesn't sound protective to me. That sounds more like a dog who's getting kind of panicky that someone's coming in the house, you know, like whatever the case may be to just kind of help them um, like define it and, and really look at it. Like draw me the picture. Tell me about the movie. You know, like <laughs> I need, I need the details of what we saw. Yeah, and um, owners owners are actually pretty good at it, but you have to drag it out with good questions. Yeah. Well, so what kind of questions should we be asking people when it comes to working with before we start working with their dog? I think pet sitters will will be able to parallel with this, and this is probably going to be helpful for you guys. But I'm teaching groomers to te- ask four questions, and it used to be three, and I added fourth one. But the question first question is asking an owner, "What does your dog do if he doesn't like something?" Because there are a lot of answers, you know, does your dog try to run away? Does your dog curl up in a ball and kind of cower? Does your dog growl? Does your dog bite? Does your dog lunge? What does your dog do? Um, and and get the, an answer. And then the second question is, what does your dog do if he doesn't like something you are doing to him? And then the third question is, what does your dog do if you don't stop? A lot of owners don't know. I mean, that's okay that they don't know. That means that we have kind of a wild card. Yeah. Um, and then the fourth question is, what do you think he'll do if I don't stop? Yeah. 
because as a groomer, that's often what they think they're paying us to do. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but as pet sitters, you know, if they're like, oh, he hates having a harness or he doesn't like it when you dry off his feet. Well, I want to know it more, you know, yeah. before I get on the floor face level with your dog and start drying his feet. What do you mean he doesn't like it? Tell me more. So those four questions, I think, are really relevant to anybody who works in the industry, just with dogs in general, to draw that information out of owners. You yeah. know? Is well, your dog scared? Is your dog... Um, basically, a scared and aggressive are the same kind of things. Yeah. Right? Like, aggression is, is a fear response. Yeah. You're, you're looking at that. Basically, all those questions are going, what makes your dog fearful and how do they respond? But if you say, yeah. what was your dog scared of? They're going to think, oh, uh, the vacuum cleaner, uh, the garbage <laughs> truck, um, thunder, right? But they're yeah. not going to say things like, well, when I touch their feet, right? That's, they're not going to view that as a fear or stress response. So it right. kind when of, it I helps. reach over them um, to pick them up and take them off the couch. Yeah, yeah. Which you, is you, a big one <laughs> for a lot of people. Yeah, just general handling yeah. stuff. So you're basically, these, the importance of good questions is going, I'm trying to simplify this to a point. Where you are, as you as you said earlier, Chrissy, of going, I'm, I need them to paint me a picture, and then I'm going to interpret what they're painting. I don't want yeah. them to try and tell me directly because they might not use the right terms. They not be, might not be focusing on the right thing. And just, I can't tell you how many times we've asked a question, and they give a really detailed response that's nowhere close to it. And then they go, oh, and also this one time, this one thing happened. And it's like, ah, that's actually <laughs> what I wanted to know about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's why, you know, like, just over time, I try to simplify things, which is all about dog training. Yeah. Dog trainers are all about talking to people. It's mm. all about the people. Um, but when you try to simplify it, boil it down to its most small components, what does he do if he's scared? What does he do if he doesn't like something? Because yeah. owners will define it as doesn't like. Yeah. You know? And um, and that's too vague. I don't know. I mean, is this dog a risk to me? You know? Um, is this dog, you know, if he gets tangled in his leash in the park, going to have a meltdown? I don't know. You know, I need you to tell me what you observe. And, um, and people love talking about their pets. So ask the right questions and they'll be like, oh, and then this and this and this and that one sunny day. And yeah. <laughs> they love talking about their pets. <laughs> Let them and get good information from it. Yeah, I know for, for us, some questions that we've asked are things like, how does your dog respond when you take them to the vet? Or how does your dog act when they're at the groomer? What does your groomer say about your dog? Uh, because then I can put that into some context and go, okay, given the situation, you know, how was this dog reacting? And then the vet kind of put them, kind of put the owner and highlight some common experiences that they have that we, that most pet owners are always going to have and go, Hey, what about this scenario? Or, you know, like the trash truck, what's your dog do when the trash truck drives by? Cause they may go, yeah. Oh, you know what? Actually, yeah, they tear through the drywall to try and get through the trash truck. That, that's important <laughs> to know, right? I appreciate that. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, and the other thing I find with owners is that a lot of the times they think what they see is so normal because this is their sample size of one dog, Yeah, maybe two or three, like a really savvy dog owner has maybe experienced 10 dogs in their lifetime, mm -hmm. right? If you didn't, right after high school, we go into our own fields. And if you didn't go into animals at all, you're probably functioning on your high school education in biology. And your own pet experience, maybe your neighbor's dogs, but still a very small sample size um, that they don't really understand that what they're seeing is abnormal. I had people say that, of course, dogs hate grooming, which is not true. A lot of dogs like grooming or, um, well, you know, I mean, I know how much they hate having nails done. I'm like, 
we don't know that. You, your puppy has never had his nails done. What? But the the myth is there. The feeling that like I've, my last dog hated nails. I thought that was just normal. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know some of those things that people think are normal. You know, well, you know, he likes to put his mouth on your arm while you're, you know, while, while you're putting his collar on. Like, oh no, that's not normal and not okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but those those assumptions lead into behaviors that the client's going to have. They're going to things lead- that they will put up with. Yeah. They're like, well, that's just owning a dog. (laughs) Or things they may try and do or training methods they may try and do to prevent this behavior, which may, you know, again, spiral and make it worse or lead to something else. And and instead of viewing it as a, a neutral scenario or a positive thing, you mentioned very early on about a groomer going, is this dog giving me a hard time or is this dog having a hard time? That simple mindset of this dog all dogs hate having their nails trimmed or this is a scary experience for the dog. How do I make it better? That's a, you're going to, you're going to try and solve that very differently. And that's going to, and and that's going to impact how that dog has for the rest of its life. Yeah. Yep. And when we're talking to our owners, again, they have a very small sample size and it might span decades. So their last training class they took might've been in the early nineties. You know, I mean, who knows if they're still working on like, Information that we have updated, you know, across the field, we've, we've done so much more information. Um, you know, it, so some of the things that people are still doing, I'm like, Ooh, there's, there are much better ways to do this, you know, (laughs) but I always try to inspire people to try something new instead of trying to tell them that what they're doing is harmful or bad. Because as someone who started in the eighties with choke collars and prong collars and lots of equipment, I no longer use. If you had told me I was mean or bad, I'd be like, just teaching him. He's fine. You know? <laughs> but if you, but what did work is when people said, Hey, have you tried this? No, I'll always try it. Ooh, tell me more. Yeah. You know, have you tried this? Ooh, tell me more. <laughs> have you heard of time to pet? Claire from Acton Critter Setters has this to say. Time to pet has honestly revolutionized how we do business. My sitters can work much more independently because they have ongoing access to customer and pet information without relying on me. I save hours upon hours of administrative time on billing, processing payments, and generating paychecks. If you are looking for new pet sitting software, give Time to Pet a try. Listeners of our show can save 50% off your first three months by visiting timetopet.com slash confessions. Well, that's part of that client education that we find ourselves in of of continuing. And that's I love how you pointed that out, Chrissy, of reminding ourselves, the clients don't know what I know. They're not in this world. Like you said, they, they maybe, uh, we experience this all the time where maybe some people had a dog when their kids were young and then that mm-hmm. dog passed away. The kids went to college. They didn't have a new dog. And now they've got grandkids and they get a puppy for the grandkids. And it's been 20 years since yeah. they've had a dog. And they are, yeah. they, they are, their point in dog time is pinned 20, maybe 25 years ago. And yep, rolled it, up newspaper, <laughs> tap them on the head if they go poop in the house. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, and, and if I don't, if I don't understand, again, it gets back to this language and communication. Okay, when they say this, wh- where are they coming from? Where is that rooted in? So that I know how to respond, react, and redirect to something different. Again, it's all about training the humans. <laughs> it's all about training the human. And again, if you think about um, our instructions, have to meet their need. They have to understand their need. And then they'll, they'll say, okay, well, why is this matter to me? Yeah. You know? Um, so for instance, um, sometimes groomers tell me, well, the feedback I get is I'm not going to do training for my groomer. 
<laughs> right? Uh, uh-huh. And I hear where they're coming from. I'm like, but you have to address that. Like, oh, no, no, no. I'm trying to help you with your dog's problem. Yeah. We're trying to be a team here. Yeah. And I'm not asking you to train your dog for me because I don't need to groom your dog. You need your dog to be groomed. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I can choose who my customers are. And this yeah. is a safety risk, you know? And actually, I have a safety policy that I tell my owners, yeah. you know, so that before we even see a behavior problem, we talk about how I handle behavior problems. I think, um, and with pet sitters too, I think there's no harm in us assuming a dog is going to have some issues and then being pleasantly surprised. So let's plan as if the dog is going to have a couple of issues with something. Why not? There's no harm in planning ahead and saying, you know, hey, in case he's really scared by this, you know, this is how we handle it. Yeah. No, so what 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 is that safety policy? Is that just us assuming there may be issues and then you know and planning accordingly or and, yeah. and reacting? Do you want to hear the grooming safety policy? I would yeah. love to. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna flip a different screen on my computer so I can just read it out to you. Um, this is the safety policy. It's not a contract. It's not legally binding, but it's sort of a, this is how I do business. Yeah. Um, to provide the highest level of care for your pet, we have a safety policy. If at any time your pet gets nervous, anxious, scared, aggressive, or even overly silly, we slow down and help your pet to be comfortable and calm. It's very important to us that the pets in our care are kept safe and stress-free. We use sharp tools and need to prevent injuries. We will work with your pet to help them feel comfortable. This will build a great experience for successful groomings for your pet's lifetime. Your pet may not be groomed to perfection today. We will charge for the time that we spend working with your pet. So there are a lot of discussion points in there. Yeah. You know, Um, but I think framing it out as a safety policy instead of um, how we charge if your dog is bad, that's all people will hear, right? Oh, he was aggressive. I charge more. And they think they're buying a haircut and like the extra box or jar of bad dog that, you know, they'll just write the check for the different amount. You know? yeah. so, so you need to spell it out that um, I've had a lot of people say sharp tools. Well, can't you use the safety equipment? It cuts hair, it's sharp. Yeah. Sorry. You know, like oh, anything, happens. anything can hurt a dog in grooming. If they bite the brush, that's going to hurt them. If they bite one of our combs, yeah, they could hurt themselves. You know, yeah. um, if they sit on our equipment, if they, you know kick the clippers if they knock over a table you know <laughs> so there's a lot of crazy stuff out there yeah well and you have in there the one that stuck out to me was if they're overly silly and i think many times we forget about the extreme other end of this of even a, a an overly excited you know worked up dog is is ba- sometimes almost as dangerous than a yeah. fearful aggressive dog because of how they're using their body in the space and because i'm oh, still yeah. having to handle them yeah, yeah. Um, and I think a lot of owners and, and non-groomers, we'll, we'll call it non-groomers. I think a lot of non-groomers would assume we'll put a muzzle on and everything will be safe. But there are a lot of ways for a dog to get hurt. And there are a lot of ways for people to get hurt. And it's not usually a bite. I've had my back put out. I've like hurt my shoulders and stuff. Just trying to hold on to a dog who's, you know, panicking, yeah. you know, and you know, if, I mean, if I didn't know he was going to panic when you turn on a dryer, you know, I mean, now I'm so much more savvy with it. And I'm like thinking about those problems before I find them. Yeah. But sometimes groomers are finding those problems by like flicking on something. And the owner's like, oh, well, of course he hates loud noises. He's a dog. <laughs> and don't you know their ears are so sensitive? You know, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> well, that, 
mean you just fly off the handle and eat people. <laughs> That's yeah. not okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, or or like if we are you know, out walking a dog and it gets spooked by something or the car or the siren goes off or whatever, mm. you know, here in the Midwest, we have the times where the um, uh, tornado sirens test on the first day of every mm. first week of every month. That's really good to know so that you know and you're prepared. Okay, this dog, I, I have experience with dogs not liking the sound. I'm a little unsure about how this dog is going to act. The owner didn't give me a clear answer. I need to be prepared for when that siren goes off at noon today to have this mm-hmm. dog and be more in control of it. Just being aware of where I am to kind of this situational yeah. context of yeah. what's happening. And stay right closer now. to home. Yes. <laughs> Things yeah, like exactly. that. Like don't find yourself two miles down a trail when the siren goes off because she said he's a little bit iffy about it. Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, and we, that's uh, that's on us. To, we, we're we're, di- we're kind of doing these diagnoses and trying to respond appropriately and in a good way. So for the dogs that are you know that you see, Chrissy, that are overly excited uh, or fearful, how, what are some mm-hmm. good ways or some good techniques to work on calming and bringing them back down? So uh, there are a couple of things. I, I kind of like to. I'm one of those people who talks a lot. And that's kind of my go-to is I'll start in with the soothing voice. Mm. Like, all right, buddy, shh, let's slow down. And you slow everything down. It's slow petting. It might be just, just touch. Like, let's just take a deep breath together. Can we calm down? Um, you know, and if that does not work, some dogs need to be jollied up. Like some dogs are like, there's, they're tightened up into a little ball and you're like, hey, bup, 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 come here, come here, come here. You're okay. You're okay. But you know, you're going to have to play it by ear by what that dog is doing. Um, and then if they are particularly worried about some things that we do there, are, there's, there's also a point where we just need to do some owner homework, mm. you know, um, as a pet sitter, you might have uh, more opportunity to be part of a day-to-day regiment you know, but if you're, if you're a dog walker, but if you're a pet sitter, you you might not, you know, you might just have a dog for a weekend, you know, I mean, I don't know your world, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but, you know, if you're part of day to day, you might be able to, to really implement a lot of it for a person, but owners need to be on board for a lot of that stuff to really create some change. Yeah. So what are some things that you would recommend a, a, a pet professional do to help set a dog up for success while they're being groomed? And, and away from the home. And, and obviously, like you said, part working with the owner, like that's super integral. So how can we, basically, how can we help owners do their homework and, and, and yeah. so they're, they're good whenever they're on the, the table being worked on? One of the games that I have owners play is I want them to uh, let go of the grooming for a week or two. Even if their dog needs to be brushed, don't worry about the brushing as much as play this game, which is basically you're taking stuff off of your coffee table and touching your dog with it random stuff and things because touching your dog all over is an important part and sorry guys but there's nothing is taboo when you're touching your dog your groomer is going to touch every millimeter of your dog including inside their mouth sometimes so every little teeny tiny part but if they are used to that and they're good with it start touching them with stuff and things from the coffee table the coaster the jar candle the tissue box um get them used to like this isn't weird because that's part of how you can prepare a dog for a grooming process. Because we have all weird stuff. And my stuff doesn't look the same as my fellow groomer's stuff. Because we all also have our own brands and things too, you know. Um, but touching them all over with stuff and things. And then getting them to a point where they can stand up and be touched all over with stuff and things. Um, and when I have owners do that, 
they usually ask me, well, I don't want my dog to think those things are toys. And that's an important part of the process. Yeah, they aren't toys. We don't want them playing with the stuff and things that we're touching them with, because that could be a brush or a comb or scissors. And, you know, um, so, but if owners do that and they're really good about it, and if you're doing it right, it should be about as interesting as watching paint dry. The dog never gets sighted. The dog never gets worried. Just keep them at whatever they can handle. And um, if they do that for a couple of weeks, it's an amazing difference. This is more about just um, becoming a new habit, some exposure. Sure. Yeah. Gentle exposure. Yeah. Um, because, you know, gentle exposure and just like, oh, this is a weird thing you're doing and you're my trusted person. Yeah. Right. So in a trusted place and it never becomes scary, right? As interesting as watching paint dry, we shouldn't see any big responses. Um, <laughs> it, it should be very, very boring. Um, yeah. But um, but working on it in that way. And then um, if you do use positive reinforcement, um, I know sometimes people are using clicker training and stuff like that. I kind of ask them to try doing this without it. Because the ideal is that um, you're going to be able to have your dog better prepared for a grooming environment where they might not be able to have treats. Yeah. Because a grooming environment, we can't necessarily have treats. Some places actually have rules that we don't use treats because it can affect every other dog in the room. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, one of the things I'm teaching groomers is to kind of assess how that dog is with treats. Like before we like have a little checklist of things to think about before you take in a dog with treats. Like, okay. Is this dog, you know, a lick mat may sound like a great idea unless this dog is food bowl aggressive. <laughs> How are you going to move him away from his lick mat now? He's like, this is good peanut butter and it's a thing and I'm not letting you near it. Yeah. You know, so a lot of groomers have said, we're not going to deal with food. Yeah. So if, if owners are doing this process without using food or pet sitters or anybody else involved with the dog's life, then we're also setting them up to be able to handle the real deal a little bit quicker. Yeah. Yeah. Setting it up for success. It's like we've, I've walked some dogs where it basically the only way the owner has been able to maintain control of them is if you have treats in your hand constantly. Well, that's fine until you don't have treats in your hand. And then you have a dog that's completely uncontrollable on the end of a leash and you are going to be put into a very bad situation. So while that was, as we talked about earlier, like that was a good fix for that moment, but that wasn't a long term. Not fit. Yeah, that, that was, was a life preserver. Woohoo! Yes. I exactly. threw you a life preserver, but let's start talking how to swim. Because, yeah, you know, it, like I, I kept you from drowning. We need more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and, and you've, you've talked a lot of, on your podcast about the relationship between behavior issues and burnout in the groomer industry. And, and I, I, I think this is yeah. very relatable to how pet sitters are as well. There's a lot, there's burnout for a lot of different reasons. But behavior issues are one that I don't see a lot of people talking about. So what, what's the interplay here and, and how do we start working beyond this? Well, so I think if we take behavior issues really, really seriously and, um, and we remember that the owner has the responsibility of taking care of their dog. Take a deep breath. <sighs> the owner has a responsibility of taking care of their dog. The only two dogs on this planet I'm responsible for are the two dogs that sleep in my bedroom at night, right? So we have to kind of distance ourselves a little bit. We tend to take on everyone's problems in a way that we don't have to, but we want to guide them to good information because I think that a lot of these owners are thinking like, well, that's not a big deal. Um, so we end up in situations where we're dealing with dogs that are making our lives really difficult. 
And maybe for pet sitting, that's a matter of like, I really need to plan my day differently because this one particular dog, you know, is going to really belt out my arm. <laughs> you know, like I can't walk another dog after this guy. Um, uh, I don't want to walk him on ice. Um, you know, like that you, we get beat up. If you work with animals, you get beat up on the best of days, you know, <laughs> but if you can imagine your same job and every one of those dogs is well behaved for you and comfortable with it or learning how to be with owners who have realistic expectations. Imagine the load off of your mind. Yeah. I mean, it's life changing. Cause I, I, I have done that, you know, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I have a bunch of behavior cases and some of my behavior cases are never going to get better because they're little old dogs and they have some dementia and they have health problems, but you know what? My owners have realistic expectations. Safety is the number one factor that we're all talking about, the health and safety for the dog and for me. And it is life changing versus like, oh, here comes another rodeo. You know, that's how we get hurt. <laughs> yeah. Well, and part of that is having, making sure that we are equipped with the tools and knowledge to handle those. Now, obviously, we can't be experts in all fields, so we still need to be able to refer out to people and have good connections with Absolutely. behaviorists and trainers and therapists and all that. But if we know the basics, like the big one, mm -hmm. leash pulling. How do I make this dog stop leash pulling? I mean, we just took on a new client. His name's Buddy. He's absolutely adorable. He's He he pulls like a, a, a Mack truck. And if I didn't have tools to start addressing that, I would start to I mean, this is a client we, would, we wouldn't take on, or I would start dreading this client because, oh, I need the money. I need that space yes. in my day filled. I got and that do causes this. burnout. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, I'm yeah. dreading all of that, and I'm in pain when I'm walking the dog. And now I have negative associations with them, and it just spirals from there. So equipping yeah. ourselves with just a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of access and connections to the community of other pet care professionals mm -hmm. starts addressing a lot of that mental burden that we have. It does. It does. and. um one of the things you mentioned there that I always jump in on when people use the word behaviorist, um, I want to make sure, make it really clear, a behaviorist in the United States is a veterinary specialty. That's a veterinarian who has gone on to more to study behavior. That's not a dog trainer or a behavior consultant, which are more trade level. All right. Yeah. Um, uh, yet in the UK, a behaviorist is a dog trainer, behavior consultant kind of thing. So I think the the lingo but a lot of the time people are like, I think he needs a behaviorist. And I'm like, I don't think a dog needs a veterinary specialist to understand why he's jumpy on leash. You know, like there, there are times where I'm like, you know, there aren't many veterinary behaviorists and they're usually going to be um, your vet contacting them yes. and collaborating with them. Now, it's great for us to say this is a weird behavior and I want you to talk to your vet first yeah, um, and then find out about like, hey, here are a couple of local trainers that, you know network with each other, you know, yeah. here are a couple of local trainers, um, you know, um, find out who we can help them find yeah. so that we can all be on the same page together. Yeah. But, um, but knowing that, um, there's a variety of specialists, you know, and I don't know if you mind me mentioning this, but I usually talk to owners about how think about, um, all of the adults in your kid's life, whether you have kids or just remember being one, right. Your teacher, that's an obedience instructor right? Your agility instructor, that's your soccer coach. Maybe they have kids. Maybe they're a teacher. They're really knowledgeable, but they're there playing soccer with your kids, right? Um, your hairdresser, that's your dog groomer. Right? <laughs> um, the the um, guidance counselor, that's your behavior consultant. Yeah. 
right? So you think like obedience instructors and they, they might overlap and they might be awesome, but you, I think with people, we tend to think about the, oh, which person am I going to, you know, your pediatrician or a child psychologist, those are different jobs. Yeah. So if we think about the wide variety of, of um, adults in your dog's world, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but just that like we can collaborate with others and a, a trainer is likely to say, I know who to send you to if that's not what I do, you know, just like a pet sitter, like, oh, I don't do overnights. I know who does. Building a profitable pet sitting business on your own can feel overwhelming. Since 1994, Pet Sitters International has helped over 40,000 people just like you start and grow their business. From access to group rate pet sitter insurance and discounts on background checks to free client handouts and a monthly member toolkit, PSI provides you with the credentials, continuing education, and community you need to grow your pet sitting business. You'll also be invited to join a private online network of other pet sitting business owners from around the world. Save $15 off your first year of membership by using the promo code PSC15 at checkout. Visit PetSit.com slash PSC to learn more. Or, or I, don't do, I don't do training, right? I don't deal with, yeah. with that world. So I need to know who to send you to. I need to know who to send you out to because we, we want to make sure that that pet is being cared for the best way possible. Remember, it's the owner, as you said, it's the owner's responsibility to care for their pet. They may look mm. for additional resources. And if I yeah. can point them in directions, if I can send them to people, that's just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm helping them even though I can't, you know, help them directly. Absolutely. Um, so with my house call business, there are times where I'm like, I don't think your dog is going to do better with house call. You know, like I think that because house call by nature, house call grooming is start to finish. Yeah. I can't really give your dog a ton of like true breaks. I can back off a little bit, but unless you want to pay me to sit on your couch and watch TV for an hour, I'm not going to give your dog a real break. Um, <laughs> but a different format, a, a grooming shop, on a slow kind of quiet Wednesday morning yeah. might be able to give your dog a number of breaks. Me sending somebody to the professional that's better for them makes me the hero. Even yeah. if I didn't get their business, who cares? Okay. It's good for the business. They yeah. will tell everybody that you helped them. Good yeah. faith. You helped them. Yeah. And that's a really good point too. If many people go, Oh, well my dog of going, okay. They didn't like the, the going to the groom. There was, there was concern about the going to the groom of that day. Okay. Let's try a different day, a less busy day, a more busy day, uh, you know, a, a day without this other dog there. And those, those are all questions that you can ask and point them. Cause a lot of owners go, well, I didn't know I could have those options or I didn't know I could pick things like that. Or I didn't know I could schedule yeah. around these things and, and, and working with them on those different levels too. Yeah. And, you know, if you think about it, there are so many options. There are so many types of animal businesses out there, Yeah, you know, that like so many options, you know, <laughs> um, but helping our owners find the right information, you know, that that still makes us a hero. Yeah. Even if it's a matter of like, let me find like there are, there are behavior things I don't do, you know, a true separation anxiety case. I'm like, you need someone who really does that all the time. Yeah. You know, like that's not me. Um, now the separation sad. I do those all the time. You know, <laughs> you know, like not every dog who barks when you leave is separation anxiety. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but but fish, fishing out details and helping people find the right specialist and yeah. finding the right help. 
Yeah, and that's where the again the terminology comes right back around. If if they're saying one word, if they're saying separation anxiety, and I interpret that to be something, like I may I may get myself in over my head because I didn't ask the right questions, and I'm actually dealing with a much more severe case and true, you know, diagnosable separation anxiety versus just the the, the sad. Right. That's yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, you you come in for an 11 a.m. walk, and the dog has already ripped out of its cage and chewed every door frame and window sill, and is bleeding. Which is like somebody that did contact me. That was the story she had. She had adopted a dog, spent the weekend with him, went to work at 7 a.m., came back at 11 a.m. to walk him. And yeah, yeah, that's separation anxiety. Not like, like, come on. I'm much more worried about the dogs that are like, yeah, let the door hit you on the way out, whatever, you know? Uh, yeah, right. Finally, they're gone, right? Yes. Right, right. But I think that um, we can't be everything for everyone. Yeah. So the more we think about like, okay, how who are my, my local trainers and other groomers and pet sitters and um, the vets and the vet techs? And, you know, uh, one of the ways to do that is just kind of network with people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it doesn't mean like you have to, you know, refer business all the time and stuff, but just kind of like, hey, I'm interested in what you do. And um, how can we help each other out? Do we have the same kind of clientele? Yeah, well, I feel like this kind of goes into something I wanted to pick your brain on, too. As we talk a lot about modern pet parents, and they, they behave very differently than pet parents of 20, 30 years ago. And one word that I see thrown out there a lot is, my dog's spoiled. My dog is spoiled. Mm. So how, yeah. how, and I th- again, that means different things, but I, I wanted to ask, you know, how do we, how do we work with a spoiled dog? But more importantly, how do I work with a, an, an owner that's, that's like that as well? Okay. So I would back that up to define it. Tell me, sh- talk to me about a time when your dog is spoiled. Like what does it, how does it play out? Because you know what? I kind of like the dogs that are spoiled because what I think most people mean is that they do a lot with their dog. They spend a lot of time with their dog. Um, for some people, it just means that he's allowed to be a house dog, which I think is crazy. But but I grew yes. up in New England. It's too cold in winter for dogs to be outdoor dogs. But they're like, oh, he's spoiled. He lives in the house. You know, yeah. like, but, but it could be that he's like sleeps in bed with them or something. And I think there are a lot of myths about like, oh, if a dog sleeps in bed with you or is up on the couch with you, like they're they're trying to take over the world and they won't respect you and all of that's really really outdated thinking Mm. but spoiled dogs could just be dogs that people are truly into that doesn't mean that they aren't necessarily um well trained um my i would consider my dog spoiled but you know they they play fly ball they compete in rally you know (laughs) we we do fun stuff um but they're also expected to behave to the level that i've trained them which is going to be individual you know um you must be a really nice safe house pet first and foremost. And if that means you also get to play all sorts of games and give me a sad look and I get up and open the door for you, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. I, you know, Stepping back and going, being spoiled doesn't mean a bad thing because you're right. Most modern pet parents absolutely adore and love and lavish on their pets. They're buying them high quality food. They're doing a lot of investing in them with training and with good quality products and with time and interest and they're concerned about their dog's well-being. So just because yeah. somebody says, "Oh, I spoil my dog or my dog's spoiled." 
doesn't mean, oh gosh, here comes a brat. Here comes, you know, here comes an, an untrained dog. We have to assess yeah. that, obviously. But having that initial reaction of like, oh, I can't, I'm not dealing with that. It's right, we, right. we're going to be a deficit because that most of those clients are going to be the ones where we tell them something and they're going to be like, absolutely, let's do this. Let's, we're, yeah. I'm on board. Yeah. Yeah. And when we talk about owners saying, you know, oh, my dog is really spoiled. I know like a lot of animal professionals do the hard eye roll and the big long sigh thinking, <laughs> oh, here we go, man. And, <laughs> but if we think instead like, oh, so you're really into your dog or are you having yeah. training problems? Ask them if they're having training problems. If, if they think their dog is really, really spoiled and, you know, we just don't set good boundaries. Like they'll tell you what their training problems are. And like, you can spoil him and still set boundaries. And they're like, woo, tell me more. <laughs> tell me more. <laughs> and, you know, they do every time. Like you can spoil your dog. You don't need to ruin his fun, but you can also set boundaries and, and guides. And I mean, if you make training fun, that's why positive reinforcement training works so well. Yeah. There's no downside to following my instructions when I've made it fun. Hey, mom wants to play with me. She just called me inside. <laughs> it's a win, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's a reminder again of 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 assessing where that client is, what their needs are, and then whether I'm a I'm the appropriate one to meet those or not, and having good resources mm-hmm. to back that up. And going this person because we don't want to miss out on the opportunity to work with a client who's invested and who is eager and who is wanting to the best outcome. We all want those people, and if we're constantly turning them away because they use the wrong term or they're not, you know, that's, we're putting ourselves and, you know, behind the eight ball on that one. So it's, it's all about doing a good assessment, listening to what they're trying to say, and then, and then moving forward. Yeah. And asking those like open-ended questions where they have to tell you the story. Yeah. Make them tell the story and, and spend some time with it. I mean, I, I actually book calls for things like that. So if someone contacts me for a house call grooming, I'm like, okay, we're going to need to talk for about half an hour. I can't really throw that in my day on average. Let's go ahead and book that. But I ask them all sorts of open-ended questions and spend some real time investing in them. Yeah. I think that is a great, great tip. And, And Chrissy, when I hear about everything that we've talked about today, it's all about being a communicator and communicating, which means both asking good questions, but importantly, listening and taking that time to really hear what people are trying to tell us. I have, I, I've really enjoyed our conversation today, Chrissy. I can't tell you how, how much fun this has been and um, learning more about good questions and how it applies to everything and about how we can be a good part of a good pet care team. I know there's a lot more here. Uh, you have an entire podcast and masterclass and all sorts <laughs> of things about that, though. So where, where can people find the podcast and start following everything that you are doing? Okay. So my podcast is Creating Great Grooming Dogs. You can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. I think I'm on all of them. So anywhere you're listening to this podcast, you can probably find mine. Um, or you can go to creatinggreatgroomingdogs.com and listen there. Yeah. And um, the the podcast really is for, it, it's very much for groomers, but I also try to incorporate an awful lot for owners, for for trainers, for, for non-groomers, yeah. so that we can all get closer to being on the same page and understanding why the things that groomers do are just weird. And some dogs have trouble with weird. Yeah. So, and um, I also love hearing from listeners. If you have questions and stuff, you can find me um, and creating great grooming dogs on Facebook. There's a Facebook page, there's a Facebook group. Um, you know, you can find me there and I'm happy to answer questions. 
Perfect. I'll have links to that in the show notes and on the website so people can start following along. I highly recommend the podcast. I enjoy it every time it comes out, Chrissy. I, I really do. It's it's very oh, insightful you. and helps me understand, again, how how pet sitters, how pet professionals can be part of a broader community and be, have this holistic approach. Because I, I think that that's really what helps start setting not just our clients and, and their dogs, but but us up for success, too. And community is always better. It, there's nothing wrong that happens with that. So. <laughs> Yeah, the more we work together, our customers are super happy. Yeah. When they and also when they hearing the same kind of information from three or four different professionals, right? It starts becoming the norm. Yeah. And that's really nice. Yes. We don't want to burn out on this job. Working with dogs should be fun. Yeah. I, I yes, amen. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Thank you so much, Chrissy. I thank you so much for coming on the show today. I I really really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. It was so much fun because I'm a big fan of your show. <laughs> I had two really big takeaways from my conversation with Chrissy. The first one was that how do we become better communicators? We do that by asking really good questions. We know the information that is locked away inside our clients' heads or in their community or with their vet or with their groomer. We have to be able to ask good questions to get access to that information so that we can give the highest possible care to them and even recognize whether we're going to be a good fit or not. And then the second thing I absolutely loved when we discussed the relationship between behavior issues and burnout in the pet industry. And Chrissy said, the owner has the responsibility of taking care of their dog. That is a hard pill to swallow. We are so passionate about the level of care, the quality of care, the amount of care that we give as dog walkers, as pet sitters. It pains us to have to step back. But one of the only ways that we are going to be able to put our head at rest at the end of every day is to recognize that first, we did our best. And secondly, at the end of every day, it is the owner's responsibility to care for that pet. Now, they hired us to help them in that process. They have a lot of education and needs that go into making them the best pet parent possible. But the responsibility for their care doesn't lie with us. We can help all we can, but we do have to step back and recognize it's not our dog. That is really hard. It is not easy to recognize that because we do become so emotionally involved and invested with the pets that we are in charge of. I really encourage you to look at both the questions that you're asking to make sure that you are getting the information you need. And secondly, do you recognize where your responsibility stops and the owner's responsibility starts? Do you have good boundaries, good policies and procedures and trainings in place to help you in that process so that you don't start going into burnout? We really want to thank our sponsors, Time to Pet and Pet Sitters International for making today's show possible. And we really want to thank you so much for listening. You have no idea how much it means to us. We know you are insanely busy these days and we are so happy for you. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and we'll be back again soon. (laughs) 